I love movies. Thank you very much. Gosh, I love movies. And here we go. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to the Grindhouse Podcast. And this week, we are joined by our friend, Christopher, from the podcast, The Regrettable, the Regrettable Century. How are you doing, Chris? Not bad, man. How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. I'm really tired. Chris, Chris from the Goebbels Century. That's, <laughs> hey, that's my secret that podcast. It. We don't talk about that one. It's where Chris speaks in tongues. Or was it the Gerbils? Gregorian chants. Just Gregorian chants the, and speaking in tongues. The Gerbils, Goebbels Century. <laughs> Goebbels, Goebbels. It's my, it's my alternate history podcast where I, I talk about what the world would have been like if the Nazis were gerbils instead of humans. Yeah, that that, that, that could be like a kid's show on uh, The Man in the High Tower or something like <laughs> the, the, the Goebbels, Gerbils, you know. The, it's like, hey, it's a, like a, like a like Nazi mouse guard. rescue rangers or something. <laughs> yes, it's perfect. like Mouse Guard, you know. Or the, mouse Guard, yeah. Yeah, but Nazi. Oh man, Mouse Guard's so good. Yeah. So, so Chris, last time we had you on, we were talking about another sprawling epic, which was the Game of Thrones conclusion. Right. Yeah, we thought we'd have you come back on and talk a little bit about Star Wars and Star Wars lore. And, and generally, I kind of wanted to ask the questions as to whether or not anyone's really excited about this movie. But before we get into that, if you have been following our social media, you probably will have seen that Matt and I have started to work and partner with a company called Blackheart Coffee to launch our own uh, sponsored Krampus Blend for this holiday with $1 from each purchase going to Hope for Paws, which is an animal rescue charity here in Los Angeles. Oh, that's nice. So good we, job, it, guys. It yeah. is nice. Also, I want to say goodbye to half our audience that just turned it off while we started talking about sponsored stuff. You worked for a yogurt company, sir. <laughs> it is a good cause. It's a good cause. And it's good coffee, yeah. according to Dave. So, Yeah, uh, it's great. Yeah. I hope you guys get on board with us. We're going to try to do more things like this. To give back to you guys, because we really appreciate everyone who listens, um, and we want to do more with this podcast and just have fun. We want to try to do something good for the world, and and you know, I saw an animal rescue video a few years back, and I'm a big dog lover, so anywhere that we can help, we will. And uh, Black Heart Coffee is pretty cool, so support them, support this coffee, and we'll send a, we'll do a photo of the check that we send at the end, so that everyone can see where their contribution went. Look, if uh, your listeners have a problem with sponsors, that means they hate capitalism, then get out of America. How about that? Whoa, now. <laughs> Whoa. If you hate, and speaking of hating capitalism, Straight if you hate Express. capitalism and you want to get out of America, Christopher, your podcast, The Regrettable Century, not the Gerbil Gerbils Century, which is a different podcast, it's a, yeah. is, is a pretty awesome podcast as well. And according to Spotify... Was my most listened one of my most listened to podcasts over the summer and fall. Nice, mine didn't. I didn't listen to any podcasts on Spotify. I did that all through my my uh, iTunes app. But yeah, I'm sure it would say that this one was on there if I looked. There you go. <laughs> of course you. it would. So so here's the question, guys. Uh, the new Star Wars is coming out in two weeks. We all grew up big Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. Are you excited? How excited are you? I am. Far less excited than I have been for a Star Wars title in quite some time, and I kind of feel like the Mandalorian stole my excitement that I would have had would have reserved for Star Wars right. because I'm enjoying that one a lot. And I just I don't know I I can't get amped about the the big saga movies or you know this big saga movie anymore. 
I mean, I've got tickets. I'm going to go see it on opening night because, sure, you know, you know, I have tradition. Yeah. And I'm going to enjoy it at least a little bit, but I'm just not as amped as I used to be. What about you, Matt? I, I'm not excited. I, I saw the trailer last time I was in the theater and I just felt like they were trying too hard. And I, I don't know. I mean, what are they doing? Like, it's it's not nothing's new. Nothing's new happening in this movie, really. Um the characters that they've introduced in this new saga are cool, but I just feel that it's um, it's just you know it's just ring, wringing out the towel for every last drop of water. It's it's I don't know. It's just uh, it's not something that interests me very much, honestly. Well, so I I feel very similar to both of you guys, and and um, I know that there is going to be a plethora of anti Star Wars videos and podcasts and YouTube's. That come out mostly by dorks who have Cheeto fingers and complain about a female lead and explain and, Cheeto uh, fingers again. Every time you say that, I, I... normally these inso nerds uh, who complain about things that are just generally non-white uh, have neck beards and eat Cheetos and drink Mountain Dew. They, they practice poor <laughs> hygiene, okay. and therefore you can see the residue of Cheetos in the, in between their crevices of their nails. It mixes you with know, the dirt, see... so it's like a kind of a burnt orange, like a yes. Wow, that sounds horrible. So um, this is not going to be one of those podcast episodes, but but I do think that there is something legitimate to the lack of excitement from people our age for these new movies. And I had a couple of theories why, and I want to kind of throw them out to you guys. Um, my first theory that I have is that it's just a generational thing. You know, when the first Star Wars trilogy came out, we were all babies, you mm-hmm. know, and it was really our fathers or our father's generation that was of that right age. You know, my, I think my, my dad was probably 25 when mm-hmm. the first Star Wars movie came out, you know? And so our love for Star Wars came from a, I don't say this is for everyone, but I think I can speak for myself when saying my love of Star Wars beyond just the content of the movie themselves is really rooted in a bonding experience with my father. You know, like growing up, my dad loved those movies because he was a young man when he saw them. And by the time I was a bit old enough to watch them, it was something we shared together. He'd bought me all the toys. I mean, it was just something that reminds me of my childhood, right? Right. And of course, because I love them, I will always love them and I'll always have that connection with them. And now I'm of the age or close to the age that my dad was when the prequels came out. And they're just not for me. Like, in theory, some of my sensibilities should be much different now at closing on 40 than they would have been five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 ish. Do you guys feel like there's any validity to that? Um, I think that the years in which I was completely uncritical of media that I consumed are totally over. So like I can't right. just see a movie and enjoy it just because it's got things that I like, like laser guns and lightsabers, you know, but right. I don't think that that rings true for me because I thoroughly enjoyed Rogue One. I thought it felt okay. like Star Wars to me. And that's what's missing from a lot of these newer well, titles is that it doesn't feel like Star Wars to me. And I actually but, really enjoyed Hans the, the Solo movie as well. Um, totally did not expect to. I thought it was going to suck, but it felt like Star Wars to me, you know? But, but interesting, I wonder, um, if you look at Rogue One, and largely if you look at Solo... They don't follow the same beats that, gen- that the first Star Wars trilogy followed. Um, I, I find it interesting. I wonder if, you know, because for years, right, Empire Strikes Back was my favorite movie of all time. Right. And then as I got older, that got replaced by Blade Runner. 
you know? And as I've gotten even older, it's probably been bumped by Rogue One. And I think the reason that I like Rogue One and why I hear what you're saying about it feeling more like Star Wars to me Mm -hmm. is because I think it actually feels more like Blade Runner to me than New Hope. It feels like a more mature science fiction story epic than the original trilogy would if I saw it brand new. And certainly the newer movies that are very much a clone stamp of the patterns of the first trilogy. Matt, how do you feel about that? I just haven't thought about Star Wars in a long time, and it doesn't feel important or relevant to me anymore. And uh, I, I do go see the new ones on the opening day in theaters. We've kind of made it our company Christmas party the pa- past couple times there's been one. And and it's fun, but I feel, I feel like I am definitely not thinking about the films when I leave later on. And so... I don't know. I, I like what you're saying about Rogue One, that it feels like Blade Runner. And honestly, I have to say, I might give it a watch. Yeah. When I say that it feels like Blade Runner, because I know Mark at the Grave Talk podcast is going to roll over in his Grave Talk. But I don't mean it's actually like Blade Runner. I mean, it's it's a mature science fiction film uh-huh. in the way that Blade Runner is to me. right? And I feel like the scope of it feels more rooted in maturity and... Um, than the traditional hero's journey. So I hear what you're saying. And, and I, I kept thinking back when, as I was thinking about this episode and why I don't feel quite as excited about it, I was thinking back to our Ghostbusters episode. And I was thinking about what you said, Matt, about how those things that we liked as children, at a certain point, you, you, you don't have to, but many of us move on from them. You know, and like you're, you might be into something when you're a kid and then you discover skateboarding and that's no longer cool. And then you discover girls and then you discover whatever. And, and that's OK. There's nothing wrong with your, your taste uh, maturing. And like Christopher, like you said, your ability to consume content without any critical thought, that time in your life has gone. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that sometimes we look at these movies that come out that are sequels or prequels or in the connective universe of something that we enjoyed when that we consumed when we didn't care so critically about what we watched and we don't connect with them as uh, in the same way and therefore they don't have that same feeling they don't feel they don't invoke that feeling that we got when we were kids so to me i kind of feel like i might be in a unique position to understand this and most people aren't and that would be that <laughs> rogue one to me feels like a war movie from the 1960s. Like I don't know how I, familiar I you, how familiar you guys are with like Where Eagles Dare and The Dirty Dozen and yeah. you know, well, I know Guns not, of Navarone. I know that, not, I, know that I, I ain't no son of a bitch. Oh well, yeah, I think like yeah because you're, you're saying it's it's more focused on because I do know the plot of Rogue One because it's it's basically right. the plot the same plot from uh, Star Wars Jedi Knight the video game. So um, but, it, it? <laughs> but yeah, but it feels more like it's it's focused on a mission. It's a glimpse mm-hmm. at something in a yes. longer war. And you get to see this cool, uh, you know, people working together and all the logistics and all the things that had to come together to make this mission work and happen. And it is more interesting because it feels more like a real story. Right. Yeah. And exactly. it's got that whole like, I don't like you and you don't like me, but we hate the Empire. So we're going to do this kind of thing. Yeah. That it's a yeah. dynamic in all of those like, you know, World War Two movies from from the 1960s. And uh, so that's what I really liked about it. I kind of felt like that that worked really well t- to tell a story in the Star Wars universe. And um, it's kind of like the vibe that Clint, uh, that, uh, not Clint Eastwood, uh, that Tarantino is going for in Inglorious Bastards, you know? Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that, I actually think that Rogue One captured that feeling a little bit better, even though uh, Tarantino was working with the same, like, setting that the World War II movies were, sure, were set right. in. 
but because of course he had to smear his Tarantino-ness all over everything it kind of like <laughs> it kind of uh t- took it out of that like 1960s feel that i think rogue one really accomplishes and um i i, I agree 100 percent. yeah and, and uh that's uh, that's what i liked about it so much that's one of the things i liked about it so much and when i say it felt like star wars i mean like dialogue wise costume wise um model wise and using their they used they didn't use 100 percent um uh like what do they call them like actual models for the space battles and stuff like that but they did uh 3d map models and used those so it makes it feel a lot more like they're using practical effects instead of just cgi and it worked it really works it has more texture i think to it and they used a lot of Ralph McQuarrie's drawings that he, like concept art for the original trilogy that got thrown out. They took a right. lot of that and made that into the artwork for the uh, for Rogue One. Like, you know, the Black Stormtroopers, the Death Troopers. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, those are Ralph McQuarrie artwork. They The the ship that they are airdropped in, in that's from Ralph McQuarrie. So it feels like it's from the imagination of the original creators of Star Wars. It feels more like that. And I think that that's what I'm getting at when I say it feels more like Star Wars. Story-wise, right, you're right. It doesn't use that whole Joseph Campbell uh, archetype of, you know, the hero's journey. But, um, but yeah, I think more so aesthetically than story-wise. Well, the, here's another thing. So I, I, was, I was reading a Forbes article about um, the, the Star Wars. Star Wars since it has been owned by Disney, mm-hmm. right? And and um, Disney's ownership of Star Wars has been much maligned, and I think we talked about it in a, in a previous episode about the, um, oh, what is it? I forget the phrase that I even used back then, but there's an, a, there's an integrity that's attached to something when it belongs to its creator, and when you change creator, or when you change who is the controlling force, some of that integrity or authenticity gets challenged. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it's that. And I didn't know exactly what it was until I saw this article and I saw the breakdown of how Disney operates things. So if you look at uh, um, franchises that – or if you look at um, brands that Disney has purchased and you look at Pixar, you look at Marvel, their model is to churn out movies, mm-hmm. right? So if you look at Pixar movie releases before Disney purchased them and you look at after, it increases like threefold. However, with Pixar films – they, they alternate between the original movie and a sequel with new content. So you never get, like, Frozen 10. You get Frozen and then, like, five, five other movies that are musical, cartoony, you know, things. And then you get, you know, 10 years down the line, Frozen 2, right? With the Marvel movies, while there's an interconnective universe and they kind of springboard the next movie at the end of the previous movie – they are all generally their own stories, right? It's not one. It is a. There's a loose arc, but you know, Spider-Man is a Spider-Man tale, and the Hulk is a Hulk tale, and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, the in, the in, the output that they're doing is is massive. But if you look at Star Wars, since they purchased them, largely, you're getting one linear storyline churned out, you know, every couple of years. And sure, they do prequel stuff. But there, it all still kind of generally follows the same timeline, with the exception of the Mandalorian, right? right? So, uh, and even maybe in, to some degree, Rogue One, even though it's pre-connected to A New Hope. But if you look at, uh, you know, if, if and and that begs the question, 
you know, okay, so we talked about uh, Matt. When did we talk about the Terminator movies? We talked about them a little bit when we did the uh, the Future is Doomed, right? Yeah, a couple episodes ago. Did we need more than two Terminator movies? No, no, definitely not. Was Was there anything gained from from uh, stretching that story out in any way that's meaningful? Uh, no, and I think in fact uh, money was just lost. I, I believe I don't think any of yeah. those movies made money. It, no, that, that's yeah, good point. So, 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 you know, we talk about Joseph Campbell. Like, I, I would make the argument that the original Star Wars trilogy was a perfect, a perfect hero's journey that that concludes magnificently. Mm-hmm. And we didn't need anything else yeah. because it didn't. Nothing that they've added since then has really advanced the story in any way that captures the imagination like the first trilogy. You introduce the farm boy coming from the you know backwater area, raises to be a hero. Hits the complications that make things worse in the second movie, and then he rises. He eventually rises up, and he succeeds in his ultimate goal, which is the redemption of his father. It's perfectly neat, buttoned up, packaged, and yet for some reason, when movies like Terminator get these endless sequels, they're criticized for the endless sequels. But we don't think about Star Wars in that same way. You know, we don't think that these is this is like this. These movies are like uh, Halloween Six. You know, the Curse of Michael Myers. Just continuing a story that was done. I think about it that way. I, I have fun. I mean, when I first heard they were going to make the uh, part seven, I guess. Uh, I, my my thought was, you know, wasn't everything resolved in Return of the Jedi? Like, why why would they Correct. need what what epic tale in this war could start up again? And they say, oh well, they have a rebel force, and it felt like it was um, really. It felt like a very unnecessary movie, but it, then it felt really unrealistic because it took this rebel force and it gave them firepower and weapons uh, seem seemingly bigger than the empire uh, where, you know, they, right. they, it was like they were doing reenactments uh, from the first film. So we saw a planet get destroyed in the first film. So they're going to destroy a whole solar system. Yeah. Right. Populated planets, you know, everything had to be bigger. And uh, it, if the empire was defeated, why is this, little rebel uprising not rebel uprising well I guess it'd be a rebel uprising or a sure. insurgency or whatever the first order is why would they be um, kind of a bigger threat than the Empire seems to be uh, at this point I don't know it just Correct. felt like it had a lot of uh, stretching a lot of explaining you know I think what I would have liked to have seen and, and I kind of think I'll I need to watch The Mandalorian because I think I'll get this with it but what I what I would have wanted all along is there was something. There is something there in expanding this story, making maybe not the story, but the universe. That like they, when yeah. George Lucas made a really cool uh, sci-fi sandbox with just exactly. really cool concepts and, and a mythology, uh, like sci-fi with a mythology. That's a really neat thing that doesn't happen a lot. Usually, mm-hmm. you don't really get a science fiction universe with a actual working religion. You know, you might have something like Frank Herbert and Dune, uh, which has a lot of uh, weird spirituality and kind of religious undertones. But aside from that, science fiction doesn't have something that's a full mystery. You can practically pray to it and get results. And so they could have expanded that universe into the things uh, that have nothing to do with that main plot line. And, and it could have made a lot of cool stories, stories that wouldn't even need the word Star Wars in the title that could, you know, right. like the Mandalorian, for example. So I think I'd be and I am excited to see the Mandalorian, but I think I'd be a lot more excited to see if, if it came out 10 years ago or 15 years ago. So, right. Um, yeah, go ahead. So I got whenever the 
the Clone Wars series came out, I was totally uninterested in it because it was attached to the the prequels, which I despised. Right. But I I don't know for whatever reason I gave it a chance, and it turns out that I thought that they did a pretty decent job of storytelling, and I think they did a, a, a much better job of storytelling than any of the the prequels did. So I actually right. kind of got into it. I thought it was pretty good, and then I watched. Bars the re- set pretty low. Yeah, yeah. And then I watched the Rebels series, which actually wasn't bad either. And it turns out that the producer of those shows, who has a whole hell of a lot to do with the writing and the character choices and aesthetic choices, is this guy named Dave Filoni. And he's the one who's the showrunner for The Mandalorian. He's oh, got he's got a lot of uh, creative input into what goes on in The Mandalorian. And... Um, so whenever I found out that he was going to be attached to that, so it's going to be like directed by John Favreau, I think. But yeah, he, he it produced is. it. Yeah, I think he directed one episode. Yeah. Okay. And okay, so he's producing it, but Dave Filoni is basically in charge of, uh, of all of Disney's um, Star Wars related television content, and he's like the showrunner for The Mandalorian. And he's got, he's got a lot of uh, creative input in it. And whenever I found he was attached to it, I was just like, oh, well, this actually might be pretty good. And it is. And it f- feels like a Western to me. And it's supposed yeah. to. It's supposed to be like a spaghetti Western, but it's set in the Star Wars universe. So it's got a totally different feel, but it still feels and looks like Star Wars. Because I feel like that uh, George, this is, George Lucas always wanted to do a bounty hunter underworld crime series set in the uh you know the outer reaches of the galaxy and i think this is sort of his ideas from back in the early days of uh from back in the early 90s whenever he was thinking about putting out this program this is a lot of his ideas sort of brought to life it may be and i don't want to canonize um george lucas too much because he did make the prequels Oh, no, they I'm were, talking about early 90s George Lucas. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot different than late 90s George Lucas. <laughs> but, Let, let's but, take a second um, just to, talk, to explore that. Like, How do we all feel about George Lucas? I mean, like personally? Yeah, like I, when you think of George Lucas, positive, negative? Like, What do you think of that guy? I, I, think, I think that it's better to burn out than to fade away. Yes. I, I feel like George Lucas was um, good by necessity necessity made him good he didn't have the yeah. resources that he needed to do what he wanted so he had to to compromise and work with other people who can help him bring his vision to fruition he had a lot of uh, a lot of people that he was butting heads with in making things uh, a lot of people that he was uh, cooperating with and they made him better for it whenever he gets his blank check to do whatever the hell he wants he's terrible um, well, and, he, and look, he needs uh, he needs limitations in I, <laughs> budget limitations and creative. Uh, like I mean, he had to get people that he that didn't want to work with him to work with him. So he had to right. compromise his vision, and he, uh-huh. his vision needs compromise apparently. Well, yeah. honestly, look, I mean, his the whole the whole uh, you know origin of Star Wars was that he originally wanted to remake Flash Gordon. And he couldn't get the rights to Flash Gordon, and so then he made Star Wars, huh. barring heavily from Japanese films and you know the traditional hero's journey. And like as Christopher is saying, like partnering and and collaborating with different people because he was a, a young filmmaker, you know, young and hungry and and had a vision. And and you know, I, I'm a firm believer. I don't know how you feel about this, Matt, but that like limitations actually make you the most creative. When you know what the box is, you know how to move beyond the box. Necessity is the mother of invention, right? 
Yeah, exactly. By the time the late 90s came around, he was the prince at the top of the uh, the tower who could do whatever he wants. And uh, we saw so the end results of that, you know? Yeah, he's made I so think, many questionable decisions. Uh, the, the thing, like a, a story, that, a George Lucas story that comes to mind is, I, I guess, him versus the Library of Congress. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? No, I haven't heard this. When the... Uh, when they they decided they were going to start including films in the Library of Congress, they wanted to have this archive of important American films. Mm-hmm. Mm, yep. And okay. uh, I think, I don't know if it was the first, but it was one of the first films uh, that was going to be in it was Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And so they went to George Lucas and they asked, you know, we're looking for an archival first print of Star Wars. We want to put it in the Library of Congress and preserve it. And he says... No, I won't give you that, but I've got a remastered version of Star Wars that we've just finished, and you can have that. And they say, no, we don't accept remasters into the Library of Congress. That's not the point of preservation. Well, I don't like the original Star Wars. I want you to have, I want to preserve this remastered one. And we remember, you remember the remastered Star Wars. Yeah, of course. It was ridiculous. All the stuff he added and all the stuff he took out and changed. I mean, it was, what kind of, what drugs was he on? What vision did he have that made him think he was improving that film to the point where he wouldn't even let the Library of Congress give him the honor of having the original Star Wars in there? And think about how long it took to even get a a release of Star Wars untouched from the original uh, cut, you know? And so that's that's weird to me. He's a weird guy that makes weird decisions, and I don't know where he's coming from. I I, I think that... um and by all means, please chime in, Matt, because like of of any of us, you 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 sort of live the artist's life, and I think that oftentimes artists want to tinker into oblivion, you know. Uh, and if you're at, at most of the time, you're not allowed to, right? And there's something to be said for instinct and things being created in the moment that are magical. And if you tinker and tinker and tinker to perfect it, what you take out of it is its soul. And mm-hmm. I feel like with Star Wars, because it was the film that no one really gave a chance and then became this like mega blockbuster to end all blockbusters, he was given this unprecedented control over his own work that unlike most artists who have to hand off their work into the, into the public, he was able to sort of wrestle control of it and, and tinker until it just became a shell of, what, of its former self. I had the, uh, the pleasure of being able to watch Empire Strikes Back on 35 millimeter, uh, in the dra- in the Alamo Draft House. The the original or the uh, remastered? No, no, 35 millimeter original. Like, nice. oh, that's amazing. Film. It was yellowed and uh, you know damaged in places, and I don't know. It, it was great. It was it was really cool. A friend of mine had a birthday party there. Like he's friends with uh, the people that own the Draft House, and they let him just you know have a theater for free and. Nice. Show a, nice. and they brought out a 35 millimeter version of Empire Strikes Back, and it was it was amazing. And yeah, the, it would really sucks is that's not a it's that's not really available to us anymore. No, uh, there is a, a really cool community of people online right now that are collecting old laser discs of Star Wars, uh, which mm-hmm. are probably the the best quality you can get of the original film. Yeah, and they're they're and they are using some uh, remastering technology, but it's not. In the same way that George Lucas was using it, it's it's there. It's you know we actually have the technology now to, to get digital prints of stuff like a laser disc and uh, start upscaling using uh, AI algorithms and upscaling the resolution to make it actually look more like the original. And so um, 
yeah, there's some really cool groups online. I can't remember the names of some of these guys, but they're they're uh, get, do, doing what they can right now to gather together all um, every little bit of Star Wars we can get of the originals and, and make something that will be most like a, an original print of the film. Uh, so to the, the point that uh, it finally, I think a few years ago, even encouraged Lucas to, um, I think he released a Blu-ray version of the original trilogy, and it came yeah. with uh, the old, like a laser disc uh, cut of the original film that you could watch yeah. too. Mm. Uh, but there was there was some issues with that. I can't remember what something with the sound or something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, well, it's it's just a bummer that it's so difficult right now in this day and age to get an untouched original you know version of the the film we all love. What well, and it's funny we spent we spend the time talking about the original trilogy and what that means to us. But is there anything to the fact that these this new trilogy just isn't for us? We're three guys pushing forty, but this these new no, movies that we're not really us, connecting man. with. I'm sure no, of that. No, no I think no. I think it's aimed right at us. It's a nostalgia fest. That I mean, it. I'm saying that trailer I watched, man, it was pushing hard, just like, hey, motherfucker, nostalgia, and I'm going, yeah, all right, but, but take Matt, it easy. I, I remember, I remember, but leave me but, alone, but, please. But <laughs> for a specific reason, I think, and I think that um, it's because. Where does where does a company like Disney or anyone really make money on these franchises? Where where do they, oh you're saying the merchandise? Exactly. And who buys the merchandise? Yes, in this day and age, dudes pushing forty and fifty are buying a lot of merchandise. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But, Saturday Night Live did that great ad for the new toys. Did you guys see that? No, uh-uh. I don't want to say that. It's it starts out with the children playing with the new toys, and then some guys in their thirties come and take them and uh, 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 and like put it back in the box and on the case. Right, and, right. It's, uh, <laughs> and it's showing like uh, all these guys with their collection, and the, and the children are just sitting outside looking at the glass case. And nope, 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 you're not allowed to play with that. And <laughs> yeah, but but like, but like, I think part of the nostalgia it's a twofold thing. A, I think we can't discount the fact that George Lucas so sullied. The, the franchise with his prequels, that there wasn't some need to reclaim some of that magic. And maybe the lowest hanging fruit to do that was to basically redo them. But I do think that, you know, again, at 38, pushing 39, maybe I'm not super excited with them. But if I was seven and I saw Ray and I saw like, you know, a B8, what is it? B, BA8, what is the, the robot name? Yeah, I'd be stoked as hell. And, and and for those people, the, because there's a lot of people I've noticed that hold up the prequels with the steam that we hold up the original trilogy with, which yeah. I don't get. And so I think to some degree for fans, there's a little bit of a letting go process and moving on to things that are, are, are aimed at us a bit more. And we mentioned it earlier, The Mandalorian, I think, is aimed towards us. Hmm. It's a it's a cool series, man. I and go ahead. I take issue with this for the the sole reason that I think it lets it lets Hollywood off the hook for a general trend in just bad filmmaking that I think that a lot of blockbusters are guilty of and it's it's done through like breakneck pacing um streamlined dialogue that doesn't you know doesn't leave anything to the imagination it's just like um boiling down what could be 
complex relationships between characters to a few scenes that are like epitomized in sure. like one-liners and it's it's basically like the the Marvel movie format but superimposed on everything else and I, and it's not just the Marvel movie format but it's no, just like it. and and I think that's what the the three latest Star Wars film or the two latest uh, trilogy films are guilty of and I think you've heard me complain about this before, Andrew. Sure. Is that that pacing is what bothers the shit out of me. And it's in every single blockbuster that you watch. It's just like someone walks into a room and says, uh, like, the problem is happening. And then they're like, well, how do we fix it? And they're like, I don't know. And then that's it. That's a whole scene, you know? Yeah, right. And, 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 and it, doesn't, it doesn't, there's no like drawing out what the problem is through dialogue and the solutions that people are coming up with and aren't able to to quite arrive at being and and it's just to me it's just it's filmmaking by algorithm they're like exactly how long can we keep people in the seats and well listen i I don't disagree with any of that i do think that is i have a lot of respect for disney as as a historical sort of monument uh but you're right i mean they're they're mcdisney yeah, that's that's what they do. But also, let's let's be honest with the original trilogy. How complex were some of those relationships? I mean, if you look back at the original trilogy with the same eyes, you're looking at the current one. Maybe the pacing is a bit better, and certainly it's not quite like, you know, the Marvel formula where it's like end with a big CG battle, but it ended with a big special effects battle. That's it's true. very similar. I think that if you, I think if those movies came out right now as is. They might be better. I don't think they'd be that much better. I don't know. And that's where I say they're not really for us, you know? I think of Luke, you know, staring out into the sky, dreaming of what's out there, and hoping he can get into college, right? Wasn't he? he, That was his kind of... Yeah, he was going to go to the Imperial Academy. Yeah, and and just how he's staring out there. I mean, and and that that, that landscape, and um, that was so relatable and so cool. Well, here's the other thing. I think the, the original films were actually really well made good films but 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 here's the other thing yeah they're great films they're good well made films but like here's the other thing we talk about this with horror right often repeated on the show why are the 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 best horror movies connect to the anxieties of the time that they're made right Mm -hmm. so let's look at 1979's star wars we're just barely past vietnam right all that is kind of settled down and we're entering to reagan years and there's this return to this more this desire for this more simplistic thinking right like you came out of vietnam and then we went to disco in the 70s and people just parted away their life and it's a lot of that social upheaval kind of was starting to quiet down in a lot of ways and then with reagan you had this like this like rebirth of like nationalism and what is star wars if not like sort of an analogy to America and Russia and this like overly simplistic idea of good guys and bad guys and it's a very simple tale and I think that there's a part of that like even even the idea of like Luke looks out into the distance because he wants to join the Navy do you know what I'm saying like are millennials who are are coming of age now or zillennials who are coming of age now is that something that's relatable to them yeah, because he wants to get off his situation. He wants to get out of his little town and get to bigger, the bigger more amazing things. 
Well, that's the opportunity. Well, I know, but he, he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't, though. He joins the people that are killing the people in the military. Right. Group. But what I'm just yeah. saying is, is any Luke, of that... Luke becomes a jihadist and, like, blows up a, a, a military base <laughs> with, like, right. 200,000 people on it, you know? But, like, look at the movies that were popular in the 80s, right? Red Dawn, Top Gun, Star Wars. Like, I'm not saying... I'm not, I'm not making any judgment on it other than I think that there's something to be said for taking that kind of storyline and imposing it on the 2010s and asking it to relate to the audience in the same way that it would have in the, the basically the early 80s. I, I just think that sometimes those themes don't aren't relevant to the time frame. Maybe, maybe in 20 years it will be, but I, I just don't see that that's as relatable right now to a young person growing up in the Trump America. Maybe not. I don't know. Hmm. But I, I, I do have to say that I, I do like the Kylo Ren character. Yeah. Um, uh, in the in the new movies because I think that he perfectly encapsulates exactly what you're talking about, which is like a, you know, a, a try hard wannabe like, you know, larper of of some sort of past authoritarianism that's just like totally insecure and uh, just hates his dad for yeah like. I don't know. He he seems to me like uh, he's a poser. He, no, he's a, he's like an alt right, you know, an alt right yeah. dark Jedi or whatever. So and well, I I well, thought that that was pretty that was a pretty cool usage of you know a modern archetype to to tell a story. I just wish they would have made the story a little bit better. You know. Yeah, and look, I I think the much maligned Ryan Johnson uh, installment did make some attempts. To make the, the 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 mythology that they established in the Force Awakens a little bit more relevant to today's society, um, but again, that was met with backlash from a bunch of Cheeto fingers who were pissed off that it wasn't a bunch of white British dudes fighting. I one liked another. that movie better than the first one. You know, you did or you did not? I did. This yeah. is the second one. Yeah, it was it was interesting. I thought I thought the second one had a lot more going on. There, the, yeah. The one one thing that in that one though that just killed me was um when the casino world that well i actually went to the bathroom during that part so i don't i didn't see it I, I, <laughs> good move spe- speaking of chris your your theory about uh, rhythms in movies I, I i was really confident after that i could like sense them so well because i just something was going on in that right before the casino scene and i just went this is this is the boring part i'm sure of it and i just went to the restroom and i came back yeah and <laughs> later on my friends were like yeah you missed the best part the, i mean that was the best part to go but but no uh when that that battle in the end with Luke Skywalker and Kylo Ren, where I mean, is that essentially once once it's all said and done, you kind of find out that Skywalker was like a hologram the whole time or something, and that just reminds me of something like when you're five years old playing cops and robbers or or whatever you know with your friends, and ah, I killed you, and no, that was a hologram version of me that I projected, and I'm really over here, you know what I mean? It was so like yeah, just weak writing almost like it was all a dream or something i, I just really uh, I, didn't appreciate that I disagree with that entirely i thought that was really smart writing because <laughs> if you were to go with the traditional archetype old man luke would have hobbled off to a space battle and would have fought this young strong man to like you know an, an almost draw i mean that's unrealistic that's your that's your fucking death wish shit right there not, that's your boomer not shit. when there's the force man no man no see that's the cop out this is that's some boomish boomer wish fulfillment bullshit. 
Luke is older and wiser, and he understands that he is no physical match for Kylo Ren. So he uses intelligence and he uses the Force older to fight him. And wiser, who's talking like a boomer now? Listen, well, to I'm you. just saying. Maybe if Kylo is, Ren I, didn't spend so much time on his smartphone, fucking avocado toes. I know he would yeah. have been able to defeat Skywalker <laughs> and realize he was fighting a hologram, but. No, so look, look, I agree with thing. both of you in this instance. Like, well, well, hold on a second. I just want to make this one <laughs> note: like that the that the Jedi were always sort of patterned after like like Buddhist uh, priest, you know, like, like and Zen this is Buddhist the, monks, yeah. Buddhist monks, yeah. And and this is one of those times where I actually thought it was applicable because Luke now, as an older man who's been studying the Force for a long time. You know, what was his always his problem in the original trilogy? Like, rushing into battle before he was ready. Yeah. Always getting overpowered. Like, he doesn't ever win. I guess he wins kind of at the end against Darth Vader. But, like, he n- he always made the wrong choice in the in the original trilogy. And in, and and much to the ire of some fans, like, he makes the first – he makes the wrong choice in the flashback that leads to Kylo Ren becoming Kylo Ren. By the end of the film, he makes the smart choice. He sacrifices himself to distract his foe. He outsmarts him. He doesn't try to rush into battle in order to give his friends a chance to escape. He finally, after four movies, six movies, I guess, makes the smart choice, which is to rely on the Force to do what's necessary to help his friends move on. So I actually liked it. Again, there's a lot of execution points about The Last Jedi that I don't think perfectly work. And I don't know if that's because of Disney or Ryan Johnson or there's probably a lot of chefs in the kitchen. But like boiling those away and just looking at the beats, I actually thought that was a great moment. It was like, okay, finally this guy learned his lesson because that's some Yoda shit right there. Yoda would have done that. Yoda wouldn't have gone charging into battle, an an old feeble man hoping to like stand a chance against a more powerful foe. He did in the tr- prequel trilogy. That's right. And that sucked. <laughs> it was one of the worst moments of film I have ever seen in my life. Yeah. The little flipping Yoda thing. Yeah. You know, making all kinds so of dumb. cute little chirping noises while he fights and flipping around. No. And... Listen, I, I, I nicknamed that Xena uh, Yoda. Yeah. Because he was kind of doing that like Xena warrior princess like oh, yeah. Yelp while he was fighting. Uh, so Xena Yoda sucks. But you know who doesn't suck? Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda is awesome. Okay. So, um, Matt doesn't care. I, no, I'm. I'm honestly. I, I haven't been watching The Mandalorian, but I do have the internet. I'm so tired of Baby Yoda that I'm really just gonna not participate in this part. Clearly, clearly, you have been following my Instagram. If you're tired of Baby Yoda <laughs> at this point. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I, I like Baby Yoda in The Mandalorian. Baby Yoda as a meme. I agree with Matt. I'm sick of Baby Yoda memes. They, I but that's just like enough. every meme, you yeah. know. Sure, it's good for for 48 hours. That's that's the light the shelf life of a meme. It's about 48 hours. Listen, listen. I uh, maybe it's because of where I'm at right now. I am currently working 15 hours in the freezing cold, you know, far from home, and every once in a while I check my phone and I see Baby Yoda turning on the Reigns of Africa by Toto. And that, it brings me a little bit of joy in my otherwise stressful day. I love it. I can't get enough of it. He's not actually baby Yoda, Matt. I know because you haven't seen it, but yeah. he's just of Yoda's species and he's a baby. Yeah. I've, his I've, name I've is Baby Yoda. That, uh, that he's not, because it, it's not the past, right? It's uh, no. Yeah. no. His name it's, is it's, the child. 
The child, right. I, you yeah. know, I did hear a cool Maybe. story uh, from the set, though, that they were um, considering uh, doing some, some uh, CGI for, yeah. for, the, for the child. And uh, Werner Herzog himself, one of our favorite director, filmmaker, artist extraordinaire, has just apparently went Peace nuts be upon and, his name. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> but apparently he just kind of, not went nuts, but it just, just kind of let them know you're a bunch of cowards if you do that because the puppet is yeah. amazing and it looks perfect. The puppet is amazing. It's good. He, he said in an interview that when he saw it, it brought him to tears. <laughs> yeah. and, that when, wow. and that when they removed the puppet to leave room to do the CG version, he said, leave it, you cowards. Nice. Yeah. It's awesome. It, no, uh, it's, it's cool. I, I do want to point out that it is basically giz- good Gizmo from the Gremlins painted. A hairless game. Gizmo. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> right. But, but I to love be Gizmo. fair, it's just a smaller Yoda. Gizmo is just a smaller hairy Yoda. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, baby Yoda, baby Gizmo. Maybe this is what would, this what would a full-grown Gizmo look like? Gizmo, I I think uh, they just I I don't think they get much bigger than that. I think they're like yeah, I, or something. You know, you know what he would have looked like? He would have looked like uh, who was the guy from um, from Bogus Journey? Oh, Station. We were Station. Talking about that. Yeah, it looked like Station. Yeah, that's what he. Kinda. That's what Gizmo Big goes ears. up to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. So, yeah. so, so, like to me, and I know Matt, you haven't seen the Mandalorian, but this is what Star Wars should be doing, or the the producers of Star Wars should be doing, which is what you alluded to earlier, and that is using this vast universe that was created by three movies that perfectly concluded, and allowing it to open the door for new tales to be told. Not just backstories of characters. You know, e- even Rogue One, as much as we enjoy that, is essentially based on a throwaway line from A New Hope. Yeah. And and in the same way, again, even though I enjoyed Solo more than most people did, um, it's based on a throwaway line also from A New Hope. So you yeah. took this one little mo- line, it's like, let's tell about that. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, what was the line? But, I don't think I'm familiar with that. Which one? From which one? The throwaway line. From, from which move? From which one of them? For solo or for, uh, for Rogue e- One? Either of them. I don't. Yeah. So in in uh, A New Hope, right before they do their their suicide run on the Death Star, they talk about how the plans for the Death Star came at the deaths of many oh, many something yes, many people right. died to, to get, get us these, these plans. Oh, by the way, I, I sorry, I need to point out that is not the plot of Jedi. Night. That is the plot of Star Wars: Dark Forces from 1995, a, ah, a DOS game gotcha. that is very important to me. So that, <laughs> I do need to point. Wait, that you're, out. you're you're not thinking about the the Bothans line, right? Is it many? Is it many Bothans died to bring us these plans? Yeah, that's that's from uh, Jedi, and it's referring to some. Oh, the second you're right. Death Star. You're right. Yeah. Sorry. Well, it's basically that line, but applied to New Hope. It seems you know, it's, like it's, what the what Rogue One is based on is the. The idea that the the Death Star plans were beamed aboard this vessel. You know, remember that Vader is mm-hmm, questioning. Right. Uh, yeah, and the the fi- the culmination, the end scene is the plans being beamed aboard that vessel, right? Right, right. And yeah. um, you know, and one of the greatest scenes in cinematic history, which is the Darth Vader hallway scene, which is great. I have it's seen that. That was pretty cool. It's it's incredible. It's essentially a, a horror scene. It's fucking in a terrifying. It's so good. Yeah. And it's and it's great because again, as a kid Darth Vader or Dark Vader as I would call him as a kid <laughs> looks scary. <laughs> but as an adult, that you needed that he looks formidable. 
he looks scary as hell. I think I agree with the idea that Star Wars universe should be used to tell stories that aren't directly related to the Skywalker, you know, bloodline trilogy or yeah. saga, whatever, at this whatever point. It is. Because I think that a, a, a lot of the stuff that I like from the Star Wars expanded universe, old and new, has nothing to do with the Skywalkers, right? Um, I think a lot of the novels that have come out that try to, to expand on the on the um, the saga are bad, and the ones that don't are good. You know, same Out, with the comic outside books. Of, outside of the Admiral Thrawn series, the, we'll see. The Admiral Thrawn series is telling a side story. I mean, right. Vader's involved in it peripherally, but like it's like the Admiral Thrawn series was pretty great. But um, I'm specifically thinking more of the new Star Wars universe. You know, yeah, right, right, yeah, not the old one. That that was my favorite book series you know of the old star wars universe was the uh the thrawn trilogy but there's a new thrawn trilogy and it's not as good but it's still telling right. a pretty cool story but anyway um like you know i think that that's why i'm glad they're doing the mandalorian i'm glad they're doing like you know uh, they're supposedly producing another star wars trilogy that has nothing to do with the saga i don't know um, where that's landing because that was supposed to be done by the creators of uh game of thrones and they've left the project yeah, they so, have. I don't know but, if that's actually happening. Well, it is. It's just going somewhere else now, I think. Oh, okay. But, you know, I don't know. And to me, I know I've got this sort of irrational sort of forgiveness that I keep giving to Star Wars, and I keep giving it a chance, even though I'm disappointed with like what's given to me. Um, and it's definitely a nostalgic thing. It's it it pulls on the, it hits the right triggers deep in my brain like pleasure sensors because you know the the way that tie fighters sound when they fly by and you know a, a lightsaber warming up it just it gets me so i give it a, i give it a lot of passes that i wouldn't for anything else as i get older i raise a, a lot of the things that i loved growing up are filled with really toxic fandom now star wars is one of them i think comic book movies we talked about how mad marvel dorks got when scorsese said that he didn't care for them um, pro wrestling is filled with the, the most toxic, bigotrist like type fans, and I think that there is something to be said for as we get older, and the things in our life as an adult become harder. Uh, be they, you know, some of us have been divorced, uh, financial hardships, um, you know, the standard of living dropping, watching, uh, you know, violence increase, whatever it may be, the world. The, the horrors of the world are so much more evident to us as adults that for some people, maybe even a lot of us, we cling to the things that brought us happiness as children and hold on to them with, with a fever that is that can at least develop into something that's unhealthy. And I think that that as the world, you know, again, depending on your viewpoint, the future is bright, the future is doomed. We, we tend to look backwards and we tend to be for, very forgiving of things that, in, that on some level evoke that same feeling that we had when things sucked less. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've heard me say this before that like I think that almost none of the art that I've seen come out in, you know, in the past few years, uh, specifically Hollywood is what we're talking about, right? I think sure. has almost none of it has any, any value you know it it to me it's all it all seems like it's created by algorithm right that it's mm -hmm. it's made to sell 
to to sell a product that has no artistic value. That's what I meant when I say it has no value. It has no artistic sure, of value. Course. It's all it's produced by algorithm. It's all it's all meant to to just get you in the seats and scientifically stimulate your brain and trigger your pleasure sensors for as long as it takes for you to be able to sit through it, which is apparently about an hour and a half. That's as long as movies are, you know, and then, and then you leave and you're like, I think I liked that, but I'm not really sure because I didn't have any time to think about anything that happened and now it's over and I don't remember any of it. So I guess that was fun. I like it. And that's what it seems like all, all movies are like to me these days. And of course there are notable exceptions. Yeah. And I think part of it is that art has, on a on a grander social level lost its value and i yeah. think that if we look back to say the turn of the century however you feel about napster and file sharing and all those things i do think that there was there's blame all around but i do think that generally speaking the value of art dropped you know um you hear it all the time from full-time musicians about how hard it is to make a living and i'm not talking about like metallica I'm talking about all musicians. It's very difficult to sell albums because people don't value it anymore for various reasons, technology, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that with movies, the appreciation for movies and the quality of movies simultaneously has has dropped in a lot of ways. And therefore and, – and the cost of going to a movie has skyrocketed. So therefore, people go to the movies less unless they're drawn into this sort of – the pop sensibilities that are applied to movies. Um, someone told me, maybe it was you, Christopher, about uh, the Mariah Carey All I Want for Christmas song. Yeah. Okay, so like, and correct me if I'm getting this incorrect, that like statistically, it's like the most perfectly written pop song to be infectious? Uh, it was It was that it hits all of the notes that it needed to hit in order to trigger your brain to think Christmas. Uh, I watched a video about it, and it's like uh, they they laid the they laid the chord progression over a, a dozen other like classic Christmas songs, uh-huh. and it just it's basically you know it hits on all cylinders, just like everywhere it needs to hit to trigger Christmas in the American you know brain, and they engineered it like that on purpose, so you would hear it and you'd think this is a classic Christmas song, is what I always thought. I always thought it was like Mariah Carey's version of a classic Christmas song. Uh, and um, right. yeah, it's it's basically like this. This song is scientifically engineered to make you like it and think of Christmas. You know, it's amazing. So I and think, and that's yeah. music these days and right. movies these days. It's it's just like production of art by algorithm. You know, correct. And and part of that is because they're trying to fit, they being the bigger studios because there's lots of art out there. That's right. Excellent. Right. We're talking about Absolutely. blockbusters. We're talking about big studio affairs. And they're trying to figure out how to get you to spend 50 bucks to go to a movie rather than saying we got to lower the cost of movies. Therefore, we can take more chances. Uh, You know, you look at a movie like The Irishman, right, which Mm -hmm. is great. I don't know if you guys have watched on Netflix yet. I got I want to, though. I I got lucky and saw it in theater. And um, it's such a great, long film. But I could see why no studio wanted to take a chance on it. Because I heard a lot of it, people say it was boring, and it's people who, when I hear when I heard them say, "Oh, that movie is so boring," I'm like, "Oh, cool! I'm going to go watch it." Yeah, yeah, because because whether the, whether people's um, appreciation of art has diminished to this point, or they've been browbeat into not understanding and valuing art, yeah, there's a lot of people who are like, "That doesn't have the, the beats that I'm used to to make it mm-hmm. in, enjoyable for me." 
right? It doesn't have these certain moments. It's just dialogue and drama and, and acting and stakes. Where's the explosions? Where's the, 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 the schlock that helps me enjoy this and justify my ticket price? I, I, I think it's less likely that there's been a major cultural shift like you're describing. I think it's more likely that the industry itself has gained a better awareness of what can generate income and what can't. And so yeah. the, the rules have changed. It's not that uh, audiences are less likely to be able to appreciate things or interpret things. We don't need more explained to us. You know, that's that that's the stuff that we talk against, that kind of boomer back in my day, blah, 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 bullshit sure. that we know isn't true. Yeah. Kids are just as smart. Everybody's just as smart as we used to be. It's just that the the kind of risks that studios are willing to take are practically illegal because of like the corporate you know capitalist system that says if you lose your shareholders money with a obvious risk you're gonna Mm -hmm. you know the 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 consequences for that are pretty serious and so i i think a lot of times uh filmmakers come with uh or, or screenwriters or creators come to studios with really great ideas and the studios can recognize that these are great ideas and they love them and they want to make them happen but then they have to let their experts comb through and just remove all the stuff that's too risky and then put in the things that they know also trigger, uh, you know, uh, ticket sales. You know, uh, if the, like, let's say you have a, a script. Can you imagine a script uh, of a major science fiction film or uh, um, action film that doesn't have a love interest? And that's ridiculous. Sure. How many actual, you know, true to life action stories, cop stories have a, a love aspect to them, you know, in the newspaper? You know what I mean? It's a, it's, yeah, and, a, it's and, an absurd thing, but every film has to have it. And I well, think that's, that's what look, we're seeing more of. It's more industry side and it's less cultural shift. It's just like... Uh, I, I think it's a little bit of both. And, and I look, these experts don't really exist. There's no experts that remove stuff. They're producers. There's producers that work for the studio. And the producers, in, in theory, you know, it's, 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 it's a taste-making thing. And it's, it is risk aversion and it is trying to guesstimate what makes a hit, but it's also just taste. Like I've seen uh, – grant, granted, on a smaller scale, but I've seen stories come in. I'll give you a great example. There was a story. It was a horror film that was uh, brought to us by uh, – when I was at my old job. And it wasn't a great script, but it had a lot of potential there. But the producer had a real aversion to bullying stories. She just didn't like them. Even if, even if the, the, the theme of the story – was ultimately anti-bullying the fact that there was so much bullying throughout it like in the same way as like say the craft or something uh-huh. um she just was like i i can't see any value in this and so i think that um i and i've seen it i've seen it lots of times like these are these are people executives are put in a position where they should not be which is they're meant to be they're looked at as creative forces but what their ultimate job is is to be a financial force and that's where I think a lot of the disconnect happens. But I also think that, like, I don't know. I, I don't think you could take society off the hook either because, I mean, new metal was a thing, you know? Like, so was disco. So yeah. I, I don't like a lot of 50s music. I mean, come on, man. This, this thing that we've declined, our culture's declined, and we're just not as 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 with it as as the as our parents generation was i i hate it i think it's ridiculous uh the, the idea that the new star wars movies aren't as good because our culture is uh you know has different uh needs um uh, the attention spans have gotten so short you know all this stuff 
I think uh, people recognize good quality stuff still. It's just sometimes, it. I do think it's it's just harder to get it out into the mainstream because it's it's too risky. Well, that's that's I, part of it. But I but I also think that go visit a few message boards about anything, and I think your opinion on humanity will plummet pretty fast. That doesn't mean well, the message to say, boards. Didn't it's exist just that message. Exactly. That's what I was going to yeah. say. It's like well, I think I, was, every, I, I would say that we are at a cultural low point. But I don't think that that's because people now are uh, dumber or less cool or anything like that. I just think it's because we've, because of the machine that we've built, the cultural production machine that we've built, and its necessity to keep just, it needs to be fed cash constantly and at an ever increasing rate. And there must be, uh, there must be a a higher, you know, higher profits every single year in order for mm-hmm. any venture to be considered successful, yeah. that we are starting to cannibalize the things that we used to do that made culture good. That's what, sure. I mean, it, it, to, to put things very simplistically, that's what I think. I think that, like, like you were saying before, we're unwilling to take risks because, and risks are the things that drive, in a, like, that drive, uh, Expansion of new concepts and yeah, exactly. It, it it's impossible for us to experiment and to take risks and to produce new things. We because it might not turn a higher profit than it did last year. It might only turn a profit that was equal to last year, you know, or slightly less, and that is totally unacceptable. So we have to be safe. We've got to produce by algorithm. So culturally, what is being produced by our society is at a low point and that's because i think and you know people are going to disagree with me when i say this is because capitalism has totally outlived its progressive potential when it comes mm. to cultural production in my opinion i think that we've got we've s- completely shifted to a neoliberal sort of supply side economics in all aspects of all production and that includes art especially art for you know mass consumption Right. And I think that um, the only good art that you're going to find is art that bucks the expectations of the industry, and that is not going to it's not going to see, receive a wide distribution. Um, and of course, like I like I said earlier, there are always exceptions to the rule. There is always going to be that one film or that one artist who. Uh, bucks a trend and there's just a smart person that recognizes that it's still going to be a moneymaker and then pushes it out there. Well, but, I think a great example of that uh, is Joker, which oh, I think if you removed, I, I, yeah. Yeah. If you removed the DC uh, fresh coat on the outside of that story would never have been released. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That, that, that was less a DC movie than it was just a, a wholesale criticism of like, uh, austerity, austerity politics and society and like cutting social programs and uh, the way that we treat each other in an atomized late capitalist society. I think that's what Joker was about. And I yeah. think uh, oh, I really, I really enjoyed that movie. I didn't expect to. Yeah. I thought it was going to suck, but I enjoyed and, it a lot. And, you know, Todd Phillips got a lot of heat uh, in some of his interviews and, and, and some of it justifiable. But I think that's the joke of Joker is that they slipped one by. You know, they had to paint it with some, much like the the character Arthur Fleck putting on face paint, they had to paint on the Joker sort of uh, exterior, the Batman DC exterior, in order to get it released, the story that really was just a strong story. 
you know, and some a couple of loose tie-ins just to make it all part of this greater world got it got the release that he would otherwise never have garnered on its own. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. I, so, I, I so do it, think though, just one little thing about Joker. I, I think if it wasn't a Joker story and if it was, ju- it, it just would have been a Taxi Driver ripoff, and I don't think it would have been as well received. After, um, even by I, us, I, I, look, think, it, I think we would th- say yeah, the movie was okay, but I liked it better when it was called Taxi Driver. They just remade Taxi Driver, but m- making it a Joker. It, it wasn't film, a remake of Taxi Driver. No, though. it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. I'm saying that's it's what we would have. Totally would less criticism. We'd say the jo- uh, the Joker I, in it is less romanticized, yes. uh, of a figure than um, Travis you know, Bickle. Yeah, exactly. Actually, I think absolutely. I think Travis Bickle's the, the character of Travis Bickle was was a, ro- a romanticized figure. He's like someone who's like had enough you know what i mean yeah and of course absolutely. he's i i don't know i always saw him as one of those uh weird edgelord guys that probably if he you know lived in the town we lived growing up he'd be the guy that you know hangs out at the park teaching karate moves to 12 year old kids and accidentally hurts you <laughs> and you know and then tells you to stop crying and you know it, like he just uh he seemed like a very unstable but very uh a person that felt very entitled to a lot of things. I think a lot of his fed upness, you know, came from his own entitlement sense. And so I, I never really okay. saw him as some, something that was admirable at all. And I found no, his, but I, uh, him, him becoming a hero in the end to just be really incidental and kind of funny. But I think, I think that, and I hear what you're saying. And I don't disagree with you, but I do think that in the process of the way it was made, it, it did romanticize some of that. And, and part of that may be because that was part of, a coked fueled Scorsese's view on life at the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, could a Joker style taxi driver, no, not taxi, but Joker style dark story be told in the Star Wars universe? It should have. Yeah. I that should have been I, Vader's story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah listen, I, I think that you could tell these stories exist for reasons and they, they exist because we can relate to them. And I think that any setting, I think if, if anything, Joker proved that you can tell those stories in any setting and that should be the new bar, right? Much like Alan Moore yeah. or Grant Morrison does, elevating the genre of superhero, I think that it's been proven that with, the, with a, a reasonable budget and a little bit of chance that you can actually elevate the stories in comic books or in Star Wars to be more more suited suitable for complex thinking i don't want to say adult necessarily i don't want to necessarily attach an age to it but complex uh, appreciation of the story yeah all right but but that being said i have a question for you guys are you in the right headspace to answer a mailbag question sure yes okay questions from the correct I don't think you're ready for this Jedi asks, why do you think characters in the Star Wars universe forget about the Force and the Jedi so quickly and it falls into myth like 20 years after an epic battle? How does news travel in the Star Wars universe? Is the Star Fox News just refusing to cover the slaughter of the younglings? Ooh, Star Fox News. I like that. That's pretty good. I do like that too. <laughs> so, so my feeling is, um, remember, you know, the intro to every Star Wars film is a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Uh-huh. So in spite of all the technology that exists, it is always designed to feel medieval. And I think just like in medieval times, news travels via word of mouth. I mean, we I don't think we ever really see any sort of news 
closed circuit programming in any of the movies, right? I mean, you certainly see, you know, person to person hologram uh, conversation or uh, essentially what a phone call would be, but they've never established any sort of like broader circulating news source. And so I think that um, one of the things that happened in sort of The Last Jedi was this idea that these grand battles, the news has traveled, but it's like a game of telephone, you know, and, and it, it, it in the far reaches of the universe, that story has essentially become myth. Like how much of it is true, how much of it is not true. The legend of Luke, the legend of this has occurred, but uh, and, and certainly there is some form of communication, but I don't think it's as widespread as we imagine it in uh, as Americans, for so example, limited, limited you know, communication, it, and uh, you can't spread the word around. But that does that kind of works. But uh, I don't know because in the prequel films, or forty years before the you know the, the New Hope, uh, the Jedi Alliance is thriving. Um, people are pretty aware of what Jedi's are, and then by the time Star Wars happens, you know Darth Vader's getting angry because some of his uh, subordinates are talking tr- talking about his superstition and uh, you know his dead superstition and stuff. You know what I mean? Like they're kind of acting sure. like, why does he believe in this old religion that no one believes in? When forty years ago, that was the dominant order of the of the galaxy. But I, but I there was a finite there was a finite number of Jedi, and yeah, there was only you know. But, and so but I it, think people that, knew it was real. That's what I'm saying, though. Well, but but what people knew it was real because uh, I think that if you look at the prequel movie, well, there's a lot of failings in the prequel movies, but you got to remember we're essentially following a military campaign throughout the series we we, right. we never spend and this is i think one of the faults of the, the star wars so, saga as a whole we don't spend a lot of time in communities sure so so like i may be broadly aware of military tactics that occur overseas but i couldn't tell you like exactly the details of it and if i heard about some I don't know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to relate it to like sort of America, American imperialism. If I heard about some crazy ship that did some, you know, some airplane that did some sort of maneuver, like I might vaguely have heard about it, okay. but I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have an intimate knowledge of it in the way that say we do as the audience because we've followed these battles as a third person omniscient. Okay. Yeah. Maybe limited communication. That that could be the reason. That's a good explanation. I I have a little simpler explanation. I think uh, that. It's not so much that, um, that people have just forgotten about it. I, I think that like we're we're in a modern world right now where religion still permeates a lot of our world, and once it just starts to die down in popularity enough to the point, I mean, even right now we can say stuff yeah. like, "Man, that old religion," you know, that that's old old way of thinking, and so I think it might be more uh, akin to that where. Um, you know, people were already kind of tired of the stupid religious force thing. Like, all right, I heard, you know, force witnesses knocking on their door, trying to tell them about it and stuff. And, and uh, so sure, right. by the time it just got, you know, 40 years later, it's a little less popular. People don't have to hear about it all the time. And so they're already saying stuff like that old dead religion. Why are you well, wasting your and time not only that, with that? But like, um, Do- is it Donnie Yen? Yeah, Donnie Yen's character in... Um, Rogue One, I thought, really sort of exemplified where the idea of the Force is, which is like most people think it's like hokey nonsense. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, this guy believes in the Force. And, you know, you could argue whether or not Donnie Yen actually had any ties to the Force at all. So how much of that, how much of the idea of the Force was just sort of like talking about Santa Claus, you know, talking about like Force was was never popular. 
But uh, Chris, you've got a, a idea here. You want to get out? This is canon uh, via the uh, the extended universe. Okay. Um, is that there's been a massive disinformation campaign by the Empire during wow. the years in between the forty years in between to make it seem like the Jedi were first of all mostly corrupt and um, you know whatever force abilities they did have they used for evil and blah 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 so the the idea of the forces of religion has gone out of favor and by the time the you know battle of endor happens uh pretty much nobody cares or about the jedi knows about the jedi believes in or cares about the force and then you know luke skywalker does some crazy shit with the force and you know the they the rebels become heroes and then 20 years later, you're to the point where like, did any of that stuff even happen? You know, what is all that? And that's because in the preceding years, uh, as sections of the galaxy surrender to the New Republic and are incorporated back in, they largely keep the structure of government that they had under the Empire. So you have uh, people being reintegrated back in that were like part of the empire that become senators in the new republic and so there's this giant voting block in the republic that is all essentially holdovers of the empire that's still keeping with that imperial line about the jedi and uh then they try to downplay the things that the skywalkers did uh say oh they're exaggerating you know luke skywalker didn't use the force he's exaggerating there's no new jedi this is all you know it's still continuing with that disinformation campaign and even though uh you know, General Leia or Princess Leia is this person of, uh, it's like this hero in the rebellion. She, they, the fact that she's uh, Darth Vader's daughter is leaked and that's used to smear her. So nothing that she says about what happened uh, is taken seriously. So, so uh, what you're saying is the Empire essentially used the tactic of fake news. Well, st- well, well <laughs> I think uh, our, our uh, questionnaire nailed it with Star Fox News. Indeed, Star Fox yeah, News, exactly. Right. And there, there is, there is like a hollow net, you know, that relays news, but it's, it's not like really talked about in the way that like there's the Star Fox News Network. It's basically <laughs> just that. It's, it's the dark it's that web. If you're, if you're it's pro, if you're pro Leia, you believe it. If you're not pro Leia, right. you don't believe it. And then there's the vast majority of everybody else in between who is not affected by it and doesn't care. So would you, would you say that there's a, a, a dark sort of a net undercurrent news traveling uh, site, like a force chan. There you go. There you go. You got it. You got the pun you've been wanting. Good I've, job. I've been searching for that <laughs> one. I'm proud of you. <laughs> well, Christopher, thank you so much. I hope that we've... Yeah, of course, man. We we're, we're hope that you had fun rejoining the show. And I Matt, like talking about you. nerd things. I love it. And we have to give a, a special shout out. Uh, we talked a lot about The Mandalorian. Our, our frequent uh, uh, friend of the show, Jude Walko, is actually in The Mandalorian. Oh, I believe yeah. it's episode three. So when you is see... He? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, we can offline about what scene he's in, but he was a featured extra in a big battle that happens with uh, Carl Weathers. And, uh, oh, you, so he's he's one of the bounty hunters then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. If you, if you uh, freeze frame it in a couple of spots, you can see a big bearded dude with like a like a helmet. It kind of looks like your headphones, Chris shooting a, a blaster that looks like Han Solo's, and that's Jude. So shout out to nice. Jude. Shout out to The Mandalorian. Thank you, Chris, for joining the show. Matt, check out The Mandalorian and Baby Yoda because it's awesome. Okay. And we guys <laughs> hope that you enjoy this episode. And until next time, may the Force be with you. And you. And you. You're listening to the Grindhouse podcast on the Star Fox News Network. 
please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast or listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud and now on Spotify.